You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. We're going to read um, down, verse, we're starting verse 1 and go down through verse 176 tonight. Are you I, I'm just making sure you're paying attention? <laughs> yes, and uh, and so I hope you uh, you brought. We're going to do the whole. We're preaching the whole passage tonight. So if you brought your blankets, you might need them. Your pillows. Say, Pastor, that's every week. Let's just stop, okay? So I'm, we're we're one verse tonight. Don't get too don't get too upset. One verse, and Psalm one nineteen one sixty five is we're going to be. One nineteen, one sixty five, and uh, just one verse. It's a I, that is just you know. Last week I preached on uh, a message on pride, and uh, just just as I go through my Bible reading, things stick out to me. And you think, as a pastor, you think I, I should preach that. I need to preach that. I, it's a, you know just something that comes across your mind, and so you file it away. And then in between series, then you kind of find an opportunity to preach some of those things. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, and uh, this is one that's been on my mind for a while, and it started a different place and ended up here. Um, but, but this is one that is such a preventative truth, that if we could get this in our minds as a church, we could prevent so many problems uh, that we have with each other, that we have as a church. And I, I just want this to be a help tonight. Psalm 119, 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Let's read that together or quote it if you know it. Psalm 119, 165, ready, begin. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And it's a basic, simple truth tonight, but one that I think we need. We need as a church, we need as individuals, and something that I think could be a help to us tonight. Let's pray and ask God to bless us. His word. Father, we love you. We need you. We pray that your spirit would illuminate this truth tonight and help us to see it clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. By the way, when we came in tonight, I was I was thinking, man, I, I'm thankful that that the the church is getting all of my subtle hints to sit up close. They're excited about the preaching tonight. And then I remembered it was Patch. So, you know, I know, I know why, you're, why you're up here. I get it. So, uh, a while back, Aaron and I were, were dropping uh, Caitlin off. Uh, Caitlin, uh, for the last couple months, uh, it was, Audrey was working with Kath Sherman and uh, Kath Queen's Houses, as many of you know, and, and Audrey was helping her for a while. Well, Audrey um, got a job over on the west side, Promised Land, Chick-fil-A. And, uh, and so, Caitlin has now been helping Kath Queen Houses. Well, a few, maybe about a month ago, um, Aaron and I were taking Caitlin to work with Kath, and, and uh, we, it was over on the west side, and, and she, so we were going to a place that I hadn't been before, I was unfamiliar with, and, and so Kath had sent the address, and then uh, we, so we were just, I was following the GPS, I was just trying to get to where, where we were supposed to be going, and, uh, and I didn't realize, I failed to see, as we get into this neighborhood, 
and we're heading down this kind of a dead-end road, I didn't realize there was a very large dip in the road. And I hit that dip going much harder than I would have preferred to hit that dip. It was a fairly violent interaction with the street um, that could have resulted in appointments at the garage and the chiropractor both. I wasn't going super fast. I'm just, this is a, a major dip. I have no idea why they would put it in the middle of the street, but they did. And it was funny, though, because right after we, we hit the, the dip, my wife looked down on her phone and saw a text from Kath that said, watch out for the dip. <laughs> and that's impeccable timing by my wife, thank you very much, after we had hit the dip. You know, that warning, watch out for the dip, is actually pretty similar to the warning that you could take away from Psalm 119, 165. See, and I just want to take a look tonight at a simple yet powerful principle and see what we can learn from it in that this verse, it starts with a great promise. And the great promise is that great peace have they which love thy law. That's the promise. And that's an amazing promise. There are two applications in my mind as I was studying through this, two applications of this promise. Application number one is that God's word will keep you on the right path. And if you're on the right path, you experience peace. You know what I mean? If you're on the right path, if you're doing the right things, then peace, shalom is the Hebrew word, peace then is, it's defined as completeness or, or soundness. It also means wellness welfare or safety and and so part of the effect of God's word on our lives is it keeps us out of trouble if you do what you're supposed to do you stay out of trouble and therefore you have peace it keeps you on the right path it's it's like a GPS except it's it's right all the time as opposed to only half the time like a GPS sometimes is so doing right is peaceful Because when you do wrong, you find yourself having to deal with the effects of bad decisions. Uh, We lose our peace when we do the wrong things and we have to deal with the consequences. For instance, if you've ever been pulled over, not not saying that you ever have been, but some of us have, have been pulled over before. And I'm telling you, when I get pulled over, there are a few times in my life that my heart races any faster than that. My heart is racing, I'm getting flustered, I don't remember my name, I start admitting to crimes that I've never committed. You know, it's just one of those things. In the moment, uh, you, you lose your, kind of lose your head a little bit, you get pulled over and, and, and you don't have peace in that moment. And that's, a, that's an illustration of life when you don't do the right things, you don't have peace. And, and not just internal, I mean external peace, you have to deal with the consequences. I was talking to Brother, Brother Doug. Is Brother Doug in here tonight? Uh, he's probably out there. But Brother Doug um, uh, it was in the prison on Monday morning um, ministering, by the way, for those that don't know Brother Doug. He was there on purpose. He was there ministering, he said, and they had 19 in the service, which was great. Uh, that's the biggest they've had since COVID. And then not only that, so they had 19 and they had four men saved on Monday morning. So that's always a blessing. But he was telling me just tonight as we before we, I came in here, um, that he was preaching, and he was preaching about the, uh, the demoniac from, of Gadara and how his family had cast him out because of his condition. And he was saying there was one of the men that got saved uh, was just bawling and crying because in his mind he's relating to this man who'd been removed from his family for the bad decisions that he had made. 
And that's what happens, that you don't have peace in your life when you make wrong decisions. Uh, you, you have to deal with the consequences. We have peace when we follow God's word. But not just external peace, he also talks about uh, internal, this could be internal peace. That God's word gives you real peace on the inside. And that you, the, other, the other terminology is completeness or soundness. In other words used to define peace are quiet tranquility and contentment so if the first application is God's word keeps us away from the consequences and therefore we have peace then this application means that God's word helps us have a clear conscience the first piece is external this piece is internal see God's word will keep you clear from consequences and it will give you a clear conscience and I'm thankful for that that's peace it's it's not just outside it's inside it's in right upright uh, outright, downright, whatever the song is. You know the junior church song. God's word gives you peace both internally and externally. Great peace, by the way, he says. Much, many, abundant, great peace. Now, honestly, isn't peace really, isn't that what we all hope for? I don't just mean world peace. I mean, that's a common answer in beauty pageants. I mean inward peace. Isn't peace what we all long for? To be at rest, to, to, to know that things are right between you and God, rest, contentment, is there anything more valuable than that? I mean, I was thinking about, you know, Christmas is coming up and Christ's birth, when it was announced, what did the angels proclaim? They said, peace on earth. You know, the psalmist begins with this great promise, peace. And, and why is that important? Well, it's because in addition to a great promise, there's also a great problem. And that's usually how it works. There's a great promise, and you say, well, I'm going to latch on to this promise, except there's a problem, and the problem, the great problem is offenses. And, see, offenses are those things that keep us from peace. An, a, an offense could be any number of things, because life isn't life full of hidden dips? Isn't it full of those things that catch you off guard that you don't see coming? The word for offense is, is mikshol, which means a stumbling block. It's something that could cause you to trip or stumble. And life is full of opportunities for offenses to trip us up. And there are, there are internal tripping hazards. It could be that it's a temptation to sin and that's your tripping hazard. It could be a heart of unbelief. It could be a spirit of criticism or a spirit of anger. It could be a test in which your faith or confidence in God is being challenged. It could be a resistance to submit to God's word. And that's your tripping hazard. That You don't want to submit some area of your life. But let me just go back to the word peace. Is that you can't, you can't have peace unless one side surrenders. And yet... Many of us in our lives, we want peace, but when it comes to submitting to God enough to have peace, our tripping hazard is there's something in our lives that we don't want to give up. There's something in our lives that we don't want to submit, but it's time then maybe for you to wave the white flag and submit to God in some area because that's your tripping hazard. There are also external tripping hazards. I mean, there are offenses that come in the forms, uh, the form of other people sometimes. And maybe there's someone in your life that just gets under your skin. It's at, maybe at work. It could be in your own family or extended family. It could be at school. It could be even at church. 
It could be someone that fills your office with balloons and then laughs at your calamity. It could be something like that. It could literally be someone who wrongs you. It may be a valid offense. By the way, I'm not offended by the balloons. They were great. Especially the ones that had candy in them. So, now here's the truth. If you're around people, there will be opportunities for offense. I mean, from the very beginning, the Bible's full of contention between people from the very beginning. And you think about, in the, just think about what we've been through in Genesis to this point. Uh, Adam and Eve, the first two people that ever lived on planet Earth, they were blaming each other for their sin. And Cain and Abel, the very next chapter, they were contending over an offering. And the herdmen of Abram and Lot, they were fighting and there was strife because there wasn't room. Sarah and Hagar, and you could go on and on and on. And the Bible is full of of examples of the fact that, that there is strife and contention and there are opportunities for, uh, for offense all the time, stumbling blocks, tripping hazards, offenses. It can happen in every arena of life. And I, I've mentioned this a couple times recently because it's on my mind, but the most opportunities for offense, I think, come very often when God brings two people into a marriage relationship. I mean, in every day, there are opportunities for offense. And I've said that recently. I'll keep saying it because I do think that, that husbands and wives need to learn to forgive each other. Too many marriages that I know of and that you probably know of are being lost because there are offenses in a marriage that, that there's not forgiveness to follow up. Uh, you'd be surprised in an extended family how many family members are at odds with each other based on offenses. At work and working together with and around people that, that are different than you, that's challenging. And they think different than you. They were raised differently than you. They act differently. They have different values. They have different experiences. They have different personality traits. I mean, in every arena of life, there are people that could be a tripping hazard for you. It could happen at church. And I, I wish it wasn't this way, but opportunities for offense are abundant because people come together from all walks of life. People come together from uh, every background. I was reading Colossians 3 this, this week and Paul was talking about the Greeks and the Jews and the Gentiles and the barbarians and the, the Scythians and the employers or, or the masters and the employees, the servants, everyone in between. And how Christ brings us all together on the same equal footing, doesn't he? I'm thankful for that, but it doesn't make the differences go away. It doesn't mean that it's easy uh, you know, even though Christ brings us all together, sometimes it feels like we're from different planets. And yet Christ brings us all into the same church family. You know, he says, be of the same mind. That seems impossible, except that the supernatural work of Christ has transformed us. And given us the, op the, the option to at least be, have the same mind and be humble with each other. He's made us new creatures. Potential dips are hidden everywhere, though. Not only that, we're also naturally inclined to allow something to trip us up. So it's not just that the, the tripping hazards are everywhere you look. It's also that we're inclined to be tripped up. Do you have anybody in your family? I know I'm not going to say the names, but do you have anybody in your family that is most inclined to trip or be clumsy, or if something bad's going to happen to one of the members of your family, it's always going to be this one. If there's a crack in the sidewalk, their toe will find it. If something's going to break, they're going to be the ones that break it. 
okay? Every family seems like there's one or, you know, here's the thing. There, there are some that are accident prone. But you know that spiritually speaking, we're all prone to trip. Meaning that we are all prone, we're spiritually clumsy. That we are all inclined to let something trip us up. To let something be an offense, a stumbling block. We have a sin nature, we love ourselves. Part of that sin nature is extreme selfishness. We are self-focused. We naturally are more concerned about our needs than the needs of someone else. Like Philippians 2 states. And I was preaching the couple's retreat a couple weeks ago. And just reminded of the verse Ephesians 5.29 says. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. You don't have to teach anybody how to love themselves. You have to teach people how to look past themselves. And meet the needs of somebody else. That's what you have to learn. So there are two factors at work when it comes to offense. There's opportunity and there's tendency. The opportunity is everywhere and the tendency is inside of us. Opportunities are everywhere. Tripping hazards are everywhere. Ten tendencies in our nature to be offended or upset when things, people do things we don't like. Listen, if all we had was that, was what we could produce, this would be a never-ending problem. We'd always be offended. We'd always be upset. Fortunately, the psalmist inserts a variable into this equation that we, that maybe you haven't considered. And I just want to think about this logically tonight. You've heard of, of maybe a logical or mathematical equation that says, if this is true, then that is true. The if-then equation. You know, if this is true, then, then the condition, it's a conditional statement. If this is true, then that is true. If A, if this, if a then B. It works in real life too. If you don't get good grades, then you don't go to a good college. If you, um, if you wash your car, it will rain, okay? Scientifically proven objective facts, right? That one was meant to be a joke, but, you know, y'all are, I think maybe it went over your heads. Okay. You know, we can make an if-then statement from this verse. See, if you have peace, you won't be offendable. If you have peace, then you won't be offendable. And I want you to lock in. It's not going to be long tonight, but I just want to give you a simple truth that I think could be a help. It's pretty simple, isn't it? There's a definite connection between the promise of peace and the problem of offenses. If peace, then no offenses. But there's a variable right there in the middle of the verse that makes it even more conditional. Because we can't start with peace because peace isn't natural. So you don't start with peace because something had to cause the peace. And see, peace, the, pro the promise of, pre of peace and the problem of offenses, those are both effects. They're not causes. There's something even bigger picture here that is a cause. There's actually a bigger if here in the equation that we need to consider. There's a variable. If you have peace and you aren't offendable, something must have happened to you in order to make that possible because we're not naturally at peace and we're not naturally unoffendable. Peace and offenses are effects. They result from something. There's a bigger if, and that big if is this. Great peace have they which love thy law. See, the key to the promise of peace against the problem of offendability is a love for God's word. 
And I just want to evaluate ourselves tonight. See, if this is a conditional statement, if this is true, then this is true, then let's start with the effects and let's evaluate ourselves from there. Let's talk about offenses. Are there things that trip you up regularly? Are, are you upset or offended at someone right now? Is there someone in your life that seems to keep tripping you up? Is there a person in your life that you just can't seem to get along with? Listen, the presence of offense, if this is an, if this is an effect, offense, then we have to go back to the cause and we would have to say that if you have offense in your life, then you do not have peace in your life. Because if peace, then no offenses. The presence of offense indicates a lack of peace. So that's the first effect. Let's look at the other effect, which is peace itself. Do you have great peace? Internally, do you have great peace? Do you have peace with other people? Are you at peace with God? See, a lack of peace indicates something in your life that must be addressed, and that is this. Offenses and lack of peace indicate that a person does not love God's word as they should. And I, I'm not trying to be hard tonight. I'm trying to do this logically so you can see that I'm not, I'm not trying to just hit you over the head with it and point fingers. I'm trying to say, look at the effects in your life. Is there, is, are there offenses in your life? Then I go back, if there are offenses, then obviously there's not peace. And if there's not peace, then according to this verse, then I don't love God's word like I should. I'm just trying to logically help us to see back. And I'm not trying to make it too heavy. And I think maybe it's coming across too heavy. I'm just trying to get us to logically think. Let's evaluate where we are when it comes to offenses. Let's evaluate where we are when it comes to the peace in our lives. And if those things are not present, let's go back to the root, the source, and say, okay, how much do I love God's word? If you're prone to being tripped by offenses, then the only conclusion is that you do not love God's word as you should. Do you love God's word? And listen, I don't just mean read it. I don't just mean listen to it. I don't just mean practice it or memorize it or teach it or tell it to other people. Are all those things good things? Say amen if those are good things. Those are good things. But honestly... Someone that doesn't love God's word can do all of those things. Someone that doesn't love God's word could read God's word. Someone that doesn't love God's word could listen to God's word. Someone that doesn't love God's word could practice it. They could memorize it. They could teach it. Uh, they could preach it. They could tell it to other people. They could quote it to other people. So I'm not talking about those things those are all great things, but just about anybody could do that without love. So my question to you tonight is, do you love it? Do you anticipate reading it? Do you seek it? Do you look as forward to God's word as the, as the next show you're going to watch? Are you as committed to God's word as you are about that, that relationship in your life? Are you as committed to God's word as you are to your job? Or your favorite pastime. See, let, let me just give you an illustration here. Let's just say you buy, let's say you buy a recipe book. I have no idea where that came from. It was just what. Let's say you buy a recipe book. 
And let's say it's from, I don't even, give me a, the name of a recipe book. Betty Crocker, okay? Let's say you buy a Betty Crocker recipe book. And men, just try to put yourself, put the apron on, just get in the kitchen, okay? You can be involved in this too. So Betty Crocker, you get a new book, and you absolutely love this recipe book. I mean, you love everything about it. You love the illustrations. You love the simplicity of the recipes. Uh, you love how easy it is to put everything together. You love, the, you love the table of contents. You love the way it smells when you open it, you know, because all the food gets, you know, stuck inside the pages. No, you love everything about it. It's just your favorite. It's your favorite book. You love this recipe book. You use it all the time. You especially... Um, you love, love the recipes, you know, certain, one certain recipe, I don't know, like for Lutefisk or something like that. Some really good, I was trying to say something relatable to people up here, but I've never had that. So you love the book so much, you struggle not to cry every time you read it. That was a joke, again. Is it weird? Yes, that is weird. But let's change the illustration a little bit. Let's say now that the recipe book was handwritten by your favorite grandmother, whose name happens to be Betty Crocker. Handwritten by Betty. Personal recipes. Recipes she formulated, she came up with, and it's your, she was your favorite grandmother. I mean, if, you, if, if Betty Crocker was your grandmother, it would be your favorite grandmother, obviously. So she, let's say the recipe book is handwritten and it's written with the love of your grandmother. And every recipe that is in that book reminds you of the meals she used to make you when you were a kid. And you would go and you would enjoy the meals at her house. And she, it was just sprinkled with love in every way. And every memory you have of your grandmother is, is a fond memory. Listen, this book now at this point, because I changed the illustration, the book is no longer about food. It's about your grandmother. That changes the book. It changes it from functional to valuable. Meaning, you love that book because of who wrote it. Not just because of what it can do to help you. And that's what it means to love God's word. See, you read it and you memorize it and you, you love it, you dig in, you seek it, and you follow it wholeheartedly. But not because of obligation, but because you love the author. Because you love God. See, the Bible's primary value is not that it's functional, although it is definitely functional. But this book's value comes from the fact that it was written as a love letter from the creator to us. Creation. And when we view this not as a manual, but as a letter from someone who's done everything for us, then we view what it says less as a suggestion and more as a privilege. See, your love for God should be reflected in your love for his book. So let's go think about back to the verse then. If you love God's word, you will have such peace that you won't be offendable. How does that happen? Well, obviously, there's transformation that takes place. But practically speaking, here's what, what I really believe is the process. An offense is something that can trip you. Problems. Those who love God's law 
won't trip when they come to the problems. See, the idea is you'll either walk around it or you'll step over it or God will give you grace to walk through it. But the idea is this, that the problem doesn't have to take you down. See, things that would trip up normal people don't take down the ones that love God's word. And I believe there's a strong connection between this verse and a previous verse in Psalm 119.105 that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, I believe that God's word is like a light that allows us to see the things that would normally trip us up. It's like carrying around a spiritual flashlight everywhere you go. You see, if you're not paying attention and you're just kind of walking around and you don't have a light, you're going to trip on the stumbling blocks. But God's word is like a light that lights our way. And the idea here is, is if you love God's word, you will be so in tune with what he wants from you and what he desires for you and what he says to you that everywhere you go, you filter whatever is in front of you through God's word like a flashlight. And yes, there's a cause for offense potentially, but because you love God's word, you see that offense through the perspective of God's word. And because, yeah, there may be potential that somebody has said something you don't like, but because you love God's word, you're not looking at what they said in a vacuum. You're looking at what they said through God's word. And someone may have talked behind your back, and that may be really hurtful to you. And if you don't have God's word giving you perspective, you're probably going to be offended, and you're probably going to be hurt and upset. But because you love God's word, then every step that you take, you are filtering... Through the light of God's word. This book is more than just something we do for intellectual exercise. It lights our path. It shows us the offenses in front of us. And because if we love God's word, because we're filtering everything that we come to through God's word, then we have peace because we don't trip over the things that we see. Listen, if we don't love God's word, we won't see the mess under our feet. And guess what? It will take you down. And in some ways, it's like Kath's text. Watch out for the dip. Watch out for the dip. And then everywhere you go, if you love God and you love his word like you should, everywhere you go, rather than the offenses coming and tripping you up and you didn't see it, it's almost like you have a little ding warning Watch out for the dip. You're walking along, you have an interaction, or you have some kind of conflict with somebody else, you're, watch out for the dip. Somebody says something you didn't really like to hear and, and it offends you a little bit, well, God's word is right there saying, watch out for that dip. And every step of the way, God's word illuminates our steps and lets us be warned that if we're not careful with this one, we're going to trip. If you don't love God's word, you'll just be walking along, you'll miss the warning, and you'll trip. But God gives you perspective on the things that matter the most. And therefore, will help you rise above the things that matter very little. I want to say it in principle form tonight. If you love that which matters the most, you will not trip over that which matters least. 
if you love that which matters most, then you will not trip over that which matters least. Because we're prone to trip over the things that matter very little. You won't trip. Listen, if you're walking and this is guiding your steps and you're looking at things through the light of God's word, then you're not going to trip when you're attacked by somebody. You're not going to trip when someone says something unkind. You won't trip when you're mocked maybe for your faith. You won't stumble when temptation comes. You won't trip when somebody else fails you. You won't fall when someone else is wrong. You won't trip when you feel overwhelmed. You won't stumble when your feelings get hurt. You won't trip when you face a genuine trial. Listen, these are, there are real tests of faith. But those that love God's word somehow see the matters of life so clearly that the tests don't take them down. Because loving that which matters the most will prevent you from tripping over that which matters very little. So love God's word and then and find yourself surviving all the mess that wants to take you down. It's like having a built-in messaging system. And every time there's a danger, you get an alert that says, watch out for the dip. Watch out for the dip. And we say, because we're so maybe wrapped up in technology, we say, well, I really wish my phone would just ding. Every time there's a potential stumbling block that it would just tell me, well, you have something more reliable than your phone. And if you love God, you will love his love letter as creator to creation. You will love it. And you will give yourself to it and pour yourself into it and seek it every day. And you'll find yourself in a in life that is full of potential offenses. You will find yourself starting to see them more clearly and be able to either walk around it or step over it or by God's grace just walk right on through it. But it all comes down to your relationship with this book. So I'm asking you again tonight, let's look at the effects. Do you have offenses in your life? If you do, then let's probably safe to assume that you do not have peace. And if you do not have peace, then you probably don't love God's word the way you should. Maybe it's time that we just fall in love with God's word. Say, so, you know what, I've just been looking at this like a manual. It's kind of a guidebook for living. It is. But really, it's less a manual. And it's really more a love letter. Your creator has revealed himself to you and given you every help in matters of life and godliness. And this love letter shows you how much he loves you. And so maybe we should seek this like we would someone who wrote us a love letter. And then as we do, suddenly all the tripping hazards seem to come to light. And we're far less offendable. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Let's say it together. Ready? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. All right, let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.